Happy Sabbath. This morning's title is Hezekiah and Moses. Hezekiah and Moses. Years ago, a, a young lady in her 30s was referred to me by a plastic surgeon for a skin cancer removal of her left lower eyelid. Well, I had a, um, a long-standing agreement with this particular plastic surgeon for years. I removed the skin cancer using the um, highest curing surgical technique called the Mohs micrographic surgery. After I removed the cancer, I send the patient back to him, and he does the repair. He does the reconstruction. Well, it took several layers, and I cleared the cancer. She had a fairly uh, good-sized hole on her left lower eyelid. Young, 30s, female. But she brought her mom at that time, and um, she said, Dr. Chung, would you please close this wound for me? Close this, you know, do the reconstruction. I know you can do it. But, you know, this was a patient who was referred by that plastic surgeon, so I, I said to her, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't. You have to go back to him. And they started, both the mother and she started begging me, saying, please close it. She had no insurance. She just came, she just finished school. And she said, I can't afford $7,000. That's what the plastic surgeon quoted how much it'll cost her, him to do the uh, reconstruction. She, she said, I can't afford $7,000. I don't have any money. And I said, there's, in my mind, I said, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to do the reconstruction because, you know, this, he's, he's gonna, the plastic surgeon's gonna lose all the trust and he already had schedule set up for her, her uh, the following day. But they just kept saying, please, please, please. We cannot afford $7,000. And then the Holy Spirit started talking to me. Do the reconstruction. I said, no. Never say no to the Holy Spirit, okay? But I keep saying, no.
And then the Holy Spirit just kept talking to me and said, do the reconstruction, do the reconstruction, do the reconstruction. I said, all right, I'll do it. So it took some time for me to do the surgery and I removed the cancer and I also did the reconstruction. And um, after I was all done, you know, I was thinking just, man, I'm going to lose all my referrals from him because I, I had several referrals every week from him for many, many years. And you know what? I was right. After this patient, he never sent me another patient. But anyway, so I did the reconstruction and all these things, and, I, and there was a bill for her, right? Um, it was not $7,000. It was much, much less. And so I said, how much am I going to charge her? I was, I was really wishing that she had insurance, so it would be very little cost to her, but she had no insurance. And I said, maybe half. And the Holy Spirit talked to me and said, do not charge her. I go, okay, how about one-fourth? I'm negotiating with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> One-fourth? No. Ten percent? No. How about the uh, cost of the sutures? No. You know, when you start arguing with the Holy Spirit, you will feel so uncomfortable, you know? And at the same time, you know, your selfish heart keeps saying, you know, I should get something from this. And, you know, thinking about all the consequences, all, you know, just thinking about me, 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 myself, you know, what can I gain from all this? Not about her or her situation. And um, very reluctantly, <laughs> I said, look, um, I know you don't have any much, much money, so I'll let you, I'm going to let you go home. Uh, there will be no charge. And um, both of them started crying, and they went. They went home. Um, Wait for the rest of the story. You know, um, there was a great king of Israel, Hezekiah. He was a wonderful king. He was a godly king. And, um, but one day, he developed an illness that was unto death. And if you look at Isaiah 38, 
It says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus said the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. You know, um, when, he, when Hezekiah heard this, he wanted to make sure this was from God. He wanted to have some assurance. So, you know, when you look at Second uh, Kings 20, 8-11, it says this, Second Kings 20, 8-11, And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day. Then Isaiah said, This is a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he has said, he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees, or go backwards 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees, but let the shadow go backwards 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backwards, by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. Now, um, you know, there was a rising, a powerful nation, Babylon. They are worshipers of the sun. And the wise men, as they're looking at the sundial, never in history, never have they, have they seen the sun actually go backwards. And so... You know, if you look at Isaiah 39, the king of Babylon sends these wise men and, you know, to say that he heard that he, you know, he's been sick and, and um, congratulate him for recovery. But they also wanted to know about the God, who, who is this God who did this? 
who can actually turn the sun or time backwards. This was such a great opportunity for Hezekiah to tell these people, this pagan nation, the representative of the pagan nation, to tell them about the God of heaven. But when they came, what did Hezekiah do? He did not talk about God. Here he is. He knows that he will live for 15 more years. He became proud. And instead of giving glory to God, he showed all the treasures of his kingdom. The silver, the gold, spices, and precious ointments, and all his armory. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. He just showed them everything. So, then the Isaiah, the prophet, went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these uh, men say, and from where did they come, come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came to me from a far country from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You know, you know this happened, right? Because you know these people who came from Babylon saw, oh, this is there, there's so much treasure here. We're going to come get all these things. So, you know, Isaiah rebukes Hezekiah and saying, this is what's going to happen because of your foolish act. And this is what So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. You know, um, the verse 8 really bothered me 
after hearing these things, after getting rebuked from Isaiah for what he has done will cause such big problem in his future generations. He says, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. What is he saying? His, at least, when I'm alive, everything will be fine. There will be peace and truth. You know, he was very selfish at that time, you know. He repented later on, of course, but um, selfish. Just looking out for himself. And um, perhaps it would have been better for Israel if um, Hezekiah had died, actually, you know. For 15 years, more of his life, and one foolish act, the whole nation of Israel suffered. Now I want to compare Hezekiah with Moses. Okay. Now, Moses was leading the Israelites for 40 years. Now there are, it says, when the Israelites were in the sight of the hills of Canaan, that's where they were going, right? After 40 years, they, were, they could see the hills of Canaan. During that time, to test their faith, God made the water to stop, okay? No more water. And as usual, what do they do? What do the people do? Complain. They complained for 40 years, complained about everything. Again, they cried and they directed against Moses. Why have you brought up the congregation to the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle shall die here? And there's no water to drink. Can you imagine? This just, it's amazing how after seeing all of God's provisions, they still complain. They still have no faith. It said the leader went, leaders went to the door of the tabernacle and fell upon their faces. Again, the glory of the Lord appeared, and Moses was directed, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together. You and Aaron, your brother, shall speak unto the rock. He is to just speak to the rock. And then he shall give them, give forth this, forth water from this rock. This is found in uh, Petrus and Prophets, 
The two brothers went on before the multitude, Moses with the rod of God in his hand. Now they were aged men. Long had they borne with rebellion and obstinacy of Israel. But now, at last, even the patience of Moses gave way. Hear now, ye rebels, he cried. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? He had, he's had it. For 40 years of murmuring and complaining, he lost his patience. And instead of speaking to the rock, he hit the rock twice. And the water came out. But bitterly and deeply humiliating was the judgment immediately pronounced. The Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. They must die before crossing the Jordan. I mean, it seems so unfair. (laughs) For 40 years, he's been so faithful. If I were Moses and I heard God say, because of that, you can't go to Canaan. I'll be so upset. Forty years. I mean, you know, he's 120 years old. For the first 40 years, I mean, he could have been a pharaoh, you know. He gave that up. He was a shepherd. And then 40 years in the desert with this hard life. He could have had a very easy and really good life as a, as a pharaoh in Egypt. But he suffered through all this. Goal was to go to Canaan with his people. But God said, you can't go. And I'll be so upset. Like, who would I be upset at? Not just, not only God, but the people. You guys made me do this because you were complaining. I hit the rock twice. And now I can't go into the land that I've been longing for for the last 40 years. 
I mean, isn't that reasonable for us to do that? You know, several years ago, I did surgery on the right cheek of a patient. And one week later, I did surgery. This patient had two cancers, one on the right and the one on the left. So I did the left side one, one week later. Big surgery, spent a lot of time, you know, all the sewing and then everything was fine. But, you know, the, it was a big, big wound and big reconstruction. So, you know, after I put all the stitches in, I told the nurse, okay, on the right side because it was done a week before, said, you know, please remove the sutures on the right side. The, pay, the, the, the nurse who was with me during the surgery had to leave and go to another room. And he, this nurse told another nurse to go in there to remove the sutures. Okay, so <laughs> she didn't make it clear. But instead of removing the one that was on the right side that was done previously, removing all the sutures. This nurse removed all the sutures on the left side that was just, that was just put in. And I got really upset. I got upset at both of the nurses. So I had to go back in and redo the whole thing again. Put all the stitches in again. And you know, so all the time that I spent doing this surgery, it was, you know, to, to, to do the reconstruction. It was just wasted because I had to do this whole thing again. And you know, that was just a small taste how, of how Moses would have felt. All that work that he did is just wasted. You know, instead of blaming the people or blaming God, he only blamed himself for the sin that he committed. Moses never made excuses for his sins. He could have said, God, you know, come on, give me a break. All these years, 40 years, I did all these, you know, let me go to that land, please. And it was not like a planned one. It was just, he was just, he just got angry at the last moment. He didn't do that. He did not blame his people. But you know, um, his heart was a heart that was always ready to forgive. He never blamed his, his people. 
He forgave them. You know, there's a um, great quote about forgiveness and from the thought, thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. This is, listen to this very carefully. He who is unforgiving, unforgiving cuts off the very channel through which alone he can receive mercy from God. Okay? He who is unforgiving cuts off the very channel through which alone he can receive mercy from God. We should not think that unless those who have injured us confess the wrong, we are justified in withholding from them our forgiveness. Do you understand what he's saying? We feel like, you know, if they don't confess their wrongs, I'm totally justified not forgiving them. It says, we should not think that unless those who have injured us confess the wrong, we're justified in withholding from them our, forgive, our forgiveness. It is their part, no doubt, to humble their hearts by repentance and confession. But we are to have a spirit of compassion toward those who have sinned against us, whether or not they confess their faults. It doesn't matter. Our job is to forgive no matter what, how they act after they did it. How, however sorely they may have wounded us, we are not to cherish our grievances and sympathize with ourselves over our injuries. But as we hope to be pardoned for our offenses against God, we are to pardon all who have done evil to us. Just keep that in mind, because a lot of times I do this. This statement is from me, because I feel, you know, sometimes somebody does something bad to me and they don't come and say, I'm sorry, or they don't change their ways, I feel like I can still hold a grudge. Maybe because I was right, you know? That's, but he says, can't do that. Doesn't matter what, how the other person acts. Your job is to forgive. So, you know, uh, Moses never blamed them nor got angry with them. And then, um, it says in Patriarchs and Prophets um, 469, it says, the great ruler of nations, that's God. God had declared that Moses was not to lead the congregation of Israel into the goodly land. And the earnest pleading of God's servant could not secure a reversing of his sentence. He knew that he must die. Yet, he had not 
for a moment. Not for a moment. Faltered in his care for Israel. Because they made him angry, hit the rock twice, he can't go into to Canaan. He doesn't blame them, forgives them. He said, yet he had not for a moment faltered in his care for Israel. He had faithfully sought to prepare the congregation to enter upon the promised inheritance. Do you know what he's doing here? He's saying, look, I know I'm not going. If I were Moses, I would say, you know, I'm not going, so I don't care what you guys do. But he prepared these people. He prepared them to go into that land. The work of Moses as leader of Israel was ended. Still, he forgot himself in his interest for his people. For the last time, Moses stood in the assembly of his people. Again, the Spirit of God rested upon him, and in the most sublime and touching language, he pronounced a blessing upon each of the tribes, closing with a benediction upon them all. Instead of cursing them, I hope you guys go there and just have a miserable time. He led them, he taught them what to do, and he pronounced a blessing on each tribe. Moses died. And um, at Mount Nebo, after his death, you know, um, angel buried him, okay? After his death, for the first time, for the first time in history, Christ gave life to the dead. Did you know Moses was the very first one who was resurrected from the dead. That was the first time Christ did. Moses rose from the dead, glorified, and ascended with the deliverer, that is with Jesus, to the city of God. On the top of Pisgah, God called Moses to an inheritance infinitely more glorious than the earthly Canaan. Here he is. He accepted his fate. Okay, God, I want to go in, but you said no. I'll accept it. 
bless the people, guided them, and he went to the mountain where he died. Do you see the differences between Hezekiah and Moses? One, he was just looking out for himself. As long as during my time everything is fine, <laughs> you know, it's good. During my time there will be peace. Moses was thinking about what's going to happen to his people after he's gone. Always thinking about others before him, right? So several years uh, after I performed that eyelid surgery, um, you know, by that time I had completely forgot, I had completely forgot about that uh, whole incident. It's been many years. Um, one of my, one of the Bible student, Bible student that we, um, who came to our weekly Bible studies, he went to Great Clips in Chattanooga. While getting his hair cut, uh, he invited the hairstylist to the Bible study. He said, you should come to Bible study. Because she said, where, where is it held? Is it Dalton? Because, oh, who, who, who leads out? Because, Dr. Chung. And she said, wait, um, is he the dermatologist who does cancer surgeries? And he said, yes. So she told him what happened years ago, how she, she went in and had cancer surgery and didn't, didn't charge and all these things. And, you know, um, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you guys professionals, especially, one advice. If you have to choose one profession that you need to be very nice to and be kind. You know who it is? Hairstylist. You know why? You know what their specialty is? It's not just haircutting, but talking. They talk all the time. They have a captive audience, you know, and they have a sharp instrument in their hand, you know. <laughs> And whatever they say, you know, they have to do. They do, you know. So, I had no idea, but for years, she had been referring her clients to me from Chattanooga. Hundreds. No doubt, more than more referrals from her than any other, including that plastic surgeon.
I remember several times she actually bringing some of the people to my office. I tell you, I learned a lot. You know, I, even though I was reluctant, I'm, I was so glad that I listened to the Spirit of God. You know, please learn this lesson. Always think of others before yourself. Always think of others before yourself. I'd like to end um, the sermon with these statements from Desire of Ages. This is about Christ. Look at what, how he acted. Desire of Ages 690. Now the history of the human race comes comes up before the world's Redeemer. He sees that the transgressors of the law, if left to themselves, must perish. He sees the helplessness of men. He sees the power of sin, the woes and lamentations of doomed world rise before him. He beholds, beholds his impending fate and his decision is made. He will save man at any cost to himself. He will save man at any cost himself. He accepts his baptism of blood that through him perishing millions may gain everlasting life. He has left the course of glory, course of heaven, where all is purity, happiness, and glory, to save the one lost sheep, the one world that has fallen by transgression. Who was Jesus thinking of? Himself or others? How about Moses? Others, right? Others before him. This is the last um, statement, Desire of Ages 755. This is one of my favorite statements. The spotless Son of God hung upon the cross, his flesh lacerated with stripes. Those hands so often reached out in blessing, nailed to the wooden bars. Those feet so tirelessly on ministries of love spiked to the tree. The royal head pierced by the crown of thorns. Those quivering lips shaped to the cry of woe. And all that he endured, the blood drops that flowed from his head, his hands, his feet, the agony that racked his frame, and the unutterable anguish that filled his soul at the hiding of his father's face, 
speaks to each child of humanity, declaring, It is for thee, the Son of God, consents to bear this burden of guilt. For thee, he, he spoils the domain of death and opens the gate of paradise. He who stilled the angry waves and the walked the foam-capped billows, foam billows, who made devils tremble and disease flee, who opened blind eyes and cried and called for the, for the dead to life, offers himself on the cross as a sacrifice. And this from love to thee. That's how much God loves us. Always others first. You'll never go wrong. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for lessons that we find in the scriptures and the example of the people of the, in the Bible. These are the lessons that we need to learn and grow and become more and more like you each day. I pray that you will give each one of us unselfish hearts and help us to put others first before us. Put this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.